Welcome to High Performing Leaders in Sport. We're thrilled to have you join us today for an exciting and insightful episode as we dive into the world of American football right here in Australia. I'm your host, Josh Van Campen, and in this episode, we have a very special guest, the driving force behind the growth and development of American football in the land down under. Today, we're honored to sit down with Mr. Wade Kelly, the CEO of Gridiron Australia. Wade's passion and dedication have played an integral role in fostering the sport of American football, making more than just a game, but a vibrant and thriving community in Australia. Gridiron Australia is the national governing body of American football, overseeing everything from grassroots development to high level competition, and Wade Kelly has been at the helm of it all for the last 12 months. In this conversation, we'll explore Wade's journey, his future, the future of American football in Australia, challenges and opportunities the sport faces, and much more. Whether you're a diehard fan or new to the game, this interview promises to be a fascinating deep dive into the sport, its growth, and tireless efforts of those like Wade who are leading the charge. So without further ado, let's kick off this episode and gain unique insights from the man himself, Wade Kelly, CEO of Gridiron Australia. Stay tuned. All right, Wade Kelly, CEO of Gridiron Australia, welcome to the High Performing Leaders in Sport podcast. Thanks, mate. Great to be here. Um, talk all, all things sport. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the chat. I guess we're having a bit of a chat off air, so I'll probably bring that into the conversation. But uh, before we, I guess, get started, can you walk us through your journey? I mean, you started playing for the Brisbane Broncos in the ARL back in the day, which is now the National Rugby League, to becoming the CEO of Gridiron Australia. A fair bit has gone in between those years. Yeah, that might take up the whole episode. Right? It's, uh, <laughs> it's basically been an old codger like myself now. So, um, yeah, look, rugby league, born and bred um, in Sydney here. Had an opportunity when I signed with the Broncos when I was 14. Uh, and then when I left school, I signed full-time um, with North City Bears from the back in the NRL uh, just after the Super League war. And then when they merged with Manly, um, I'd had enough of rugby league by then. Uh, I was 20 and I was looking to go, to, I got an offer to go to Union, uh, played some stuff here in Sydney and then went over, overseas and played for 10 years in Europe, uh, Rugby Union, and then finished with a year in New York, which was great fun. Uh, mm. I come back and then, you know, traditional rugby league boy, what the hell do I do now? Um, <laughs> you know, we all talk, they all say, and I hate it, you know, this word retirement, oh, I retired at 30, you know, retirement, you just change jobs. Um, but it's very hard. It's very hard to change jobs at 30 when you've got no skills. Um, and so I ended up in coaching. Uh, sport's the only thing I, I really knew. Uh, and then even then, after a few years, I realised I knew nothing about sport, um, realistically, particularly the off-field stuff. Uh, I did a master's in performance psychology for my on-field stuff. And then really started to dive deep, realise how important the off-field stuff is to, to give us a chance on-field. Uh, and moved into that side of sport. Um, as director of rugby, then director of sport, and then had an opportunity to move back to Sydney. This opportunity come up, which was a bit of a surprise out of the blue, um, and I didn't really understand it. Uh, so I needed to, to, you know, do a fair bit of research on the back of it. Um, and yeah, it was it was a good decision. You talked about being 20 years old and having enough of rugby league. It seems like for a lot of sports, you know, for, for whatever reason, at certain points kids burn out were you burnt out or was it just a simple thing of you know I, I don't love the game anymore and just an opportunity to take on union yeah look it's i wasn't burnt out because i still want to play i just don't want to play in that system um, mm. a system which is really restrictive i was at a club which was really conservative uh, really successful but really conservative which didn't suit me you know i probably 
he should have stayed with the Broncos or took a, a different route to a different club. Um, and, and, you know, I went with Norse, you know, I've seen the dollar signs and, and signed and, you know, yeah. I come from a family with no money and um, that was an opportunity to make good money when I was, you know, 17 years old, you know, I was making double what my dad was making. So it was wow. just hard to knock back. So um, Super League War treated us all very well. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, d- definitely I, did. I, I wasn't so much burnt out. Uh, I still love the game. I still love the game now. Um, and I'd play. I'd still play if I could. Uh, I just didn't like the trade and that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it was, it was more the system I was in rather than the uh, the actual game. And you talk about, I guess, you know, when you work in, I guess, the opportunity to work in sport, you don't come in for, as a player, don't really understand what's happening in the admin side of stuff, and people generally don't care. I'm is that something you probably wish you knew a bit more in your playing days, what goes on behind the scenes and maybe somewhat appreciate, but also understand what takes place in the admin side of sport? Yeah, for sure. I, I remember doing I remember two things on that. I remember sitting on a bus going to a, a cup final at Twickenham and looking at Rob Baxter, who was our head coach at Exeter. Actually, he was, he was still a forwards coach, but anyway. Um Great guy, and I was just thinking, Rob, you, know, you are living the dream, mate. We are on the bus, nervous. We're just going to get, you know, we're going to basically run into collisions for the next 80 minutes with massive humans um, and hope we win, you know, and you'll just sit on the bus and you get to watch the game and then go and have a beer after the game. And I just really didn't understand and appreciate how much work goes into actually performance. And then the players just turn up and perform, um, whether that's a training or in game. So, and then the other side of that is coaching. Um, I wish I'd coached when I played because I didn't understand the yeah. game, so I started coaching it. Um, and, and I always say to kids now, you know, I, I still mentor a lot of the kids in rugby union. I say, go and coach, just coach. You know, you're 22, 23, 24, just coach, and then you'll get an understanding of how to play the game properly. Um, so it's the same thing with admin. You know, if, if I knew what was maybe i don't know maybe maybe knowing what goes into it actually one it gives a good appreciation for what happens but maybe it'll be a bit overload uh, and you can just focus on playing which is the main thing so do you yeah. wish you maybe you talk about not uh you know maybe wish you kind of coached when you were younger do you ever think oh maybe if i refereed as well that might have helped interesting point yeah i i, I think i when I was in Europe, I did referee a lot of games, I think. Well, Wayne Barnes used to tell me I thought I was a ref. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that would, yeah, that's a good point. I'd never thought of that, to be honest, until you just said it then. Um, but, yeah, getting an understanding of what referees are going through, uh, mm-hmm. learning they're actually human. I didn't realise that until <laughs> I was a coach. become good friends with a lot of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. So let's talk about your current role as CEO of Gridiron in Australia. You know, Gridiron's still a relatively niche sport to Australia. Can you maybe give us some insights and background and explain the growth and popularity of American football in Australia? Because we are saying off air where you're the first ever employee for Gridiron Australia. So you're basically running a startup at the moment. Yeah, essentially. Uh, well, yeah, I say that, you know, with a, a little bit of trepidation. Gridiron Australia has been here for 40 years. Um, historically, it's centered around a senior men's competition because, you know, people would come back from the States and, and fall in love with the game over there or college over there yeah. and come back and go, oh, let's start up our own club and start up our own stuff. You know, I knew about, I remember trying, uh, Peter Toss, who was one of the founding members of, of Gridiron in New South Wales, American football in New South Wales, trying to recruit me when I was five years old playing rugby league because I played with his son. Um, 
And so there's always been American football here, you know, right around the country, except for Northern Territory at the moment. Even Northern Territory's out of the league before historically, but it's always been around, centered around senior men's yeah. um, because those are the guys that are starting the clubs and make the decisions. Um, you know, it's been Australian teams, but there has, you know, juniors has started up around the country um, to various success. And then there's been a women's league, you know, there's been an Australian women's team that's got the World Cup and the women are actually. Um, you know, really enthusiastic about playing the game. So there's, it's when I when you know if we if we label the term startup, it's more flag is a real startup, but mm. it's the first time someone's um, had I think has come in uh, with a strong background in growing junior sport and and growing development uh, pathways to actually really focus on that and be paid full time to do it. So yeah, it, it is a startup in a lot of ways. And with the, I guess, flag football coming into the 2028 Olympics, I guess Gridiron Australia probably really excited by the opportunities and hopefully the popularity will help grow the sport, not only flag football, I guess, but gridiron itself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's essentially the same game, right? But one's not tackle. Um, so, you know, you fall in love with, you know, I was just talking to the Australian women's coach, Paul Monero. He's... You know, he's a traditionalist in the fact that he loves his tackle football. You know, he's been in the game, been in the game of good on Australia for years. And he, he just said then, you know, he's really fallen in love with flag football as well um, because it's a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the same schemes, a lot of the same uh, tactics, just without the big boppers in the middle of the field and no tackling. So, yeah, look, it's when we talk about popularity of the sport here, you know, the NFL is so big. Um, and, I, you know, there's a lot of anecdotes I can share about, you know, rugby league players and rugby union players that are in love with the sport, AFL guys, you know. I know that there's a fantasy league amongst AFL coaches where they even have a ring. Um, every oh, year wow. So, there's, you know, and if you look at the, the metrics of, you know, we talk to Foxtel, we talk to ESPN and stuff, and, and the metrics for NFL and now even college football is just growing and growing exponentially every year, as, as alongside the NBA. And there's no, you know, it's pretty simple to work out, right? They're behemoths in the terms of marketing worlds. And where do they market really well? They market well through the streaming platforms and apps, um, you know, kit grabbing kids' attentions. You know, there's a sportsman's lunch a few months ago with a good mate of mine, Steve Gillis, and he sort of set up the room and said to, you know, a bunch of middle-aged white guys like me, that, you know, any NFL fans here? And there was grumbling around the room, oh, oh, NFL, 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 American sports. And he said, what do you think of that? And I said, man, the NFL don't care. You know, they've got all your kids. They've got all your grandkids. They're all watching it. Mm. Um, you know, it's when I grew up, you watch Channel 2, you got the Rugby Union, you watch Channel 10 uh, and then Channel 9 for the Rugby League and Channel 7 for the AFL and that's where you got all your sport from uh, and the girls are the same with the netball with ABC. But it's not like that anymore. You know, the kids now, they stream everything and they, and they watch it on apps and they watch ESPN and they TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram. They avoid Facebook because we're all on it. Um, and who dominates those platforms? Who puts, you know, millions and millions of dollars into those platforms is the NFL and the NBA. So they've already got our kids' attention. Um, you know, there's so many stories of, of mates' kids. And, and even, you know, I, I coached a couple of guys that, that are in the NRL now and they're obsessed with the NFL uh, and constantly text messaging me and messaging me on social media to ask them how they're going to play against Tyreek Hill in 2028. Um, <laughs> you know, a couple of the, I had meetings with NRLW girls two last week that are interested in playing in 2028. Um, the, the, 
AFLW girls. There's a lot of interest there to come across and play, and even with the you know the the netball girls to come across and have a crack at that. It's it's people love the NFL and they and they're falling in love even uh, more so now with college football, which is getting huge. So you're having these conversations with players from other sports and their interest in being involved with flag football for the Australian team in 2028. And no doubt there'd be some excitement. Oh, you know, if we can leverage their popularity, can probably help grow the sport. How do you balance going? Well, we've already got athletes playing flag football. Do you think you would kind of like mess up the ecosystem a little bit if you did bring in a star from the NRL and NRLW into the flag football um, ecosystem? Look, you wouldn't drop someone in for a tournament. They'd just expect them to perform and, and, and hold a position open for them. They'd have to be part of a, pro, a high performance program. But yeah. remembering Flag, Flag didn't really, or this Flag within Gridiron Australia didn't exist six weeks ago. You know, it, it, obviously we know what's coming and we've been working on this. My, I mean, since day one, I started with them last year. Yeah. But these are all new players. You know, there's been some existing private leagues which are now coming under the GA banner in Brisbane and Melbourne and, and, and Perth as well. There's some leagues. Um, and they're going to start, start sprouting up everywhere, you know, uh, in colleges, in high schools, in, uh, in seniors, in, in social circles. So you're going to, when we, but when we talk about high performance, it's the best players, right? So you're talking about the top 10, top 12, top 20 in a squad for your Australian teams. And, and these, like I said to people before, you know, you know, over the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of headlines in and around, oh, Reese Walsh to play in the flag football or um, Taylor Harris from AFL to come play for flag football in the Olympics. And look, people, there's not a, millions of kids or thousands of kids or adults out there hiding under a tree waiting for their dream sport to come up. They're all yeah. playing other sports. So they are going to come from other sports. They're going to come from within our own sport. And we want, you know, the, the girls and the guys that just performed in Malaysia are fantastic. You know, the girls in their first tournament and now second in Asia, Oceania. Um, they ran second in Japan. It's a program that's been pretty much full time for, you know, the last five years. Um, and they, they played them in the pool game. They only lost to Japan, uh, who were number six in the world. And they played them in the pool game where they didn't score a point. And then they played them in the grand final where they actually, they come within, you know, a dozen points of, of, of beating the top six team in the world in their first tournament off the back of three or four training sessions. Um, so we know we've got the talent, uh, you know, across all the sports to come and play this game and, and within our own sport, you know, so a lot of those guys um, and girls are already playing American football here and they're mm. playing flag yeah, up in Brisbane, particularly in those leagues and down in Melbourne. The, the guys, you know, they, they again, Japan, they got within, I think it was six points uh, against the top 10 team in the world. And that, wow. again, off the back of three sessions and, um uh, in their first tournament so and, and the reason why is because the talent that we've got in australia is so well suited to the game because mm. what is the game the game is get downfield turn around catch a ball high so fast speed agility high catch a ball above your head that's afl that's netball that's basketball and then you throw in that you've got to get flags off where you can throw running backs in there um, you know that's your rugby league guys and girls and um and then the coverage the, the rugby leagues guys and girls are really good at that the AFL, obviously the afl basketball uh and even soccer you know really good at that man on man coverage and then you throw in the quarterback you know the quarterback's probably pivotal to the whole thing we you know we're lucky we've got two great well there's a few great quarterbacks in our in our leagues at the moment 
um, Casey uh, and Bart and, and Matt for the men's in the Australian teams was exceptional on the weekend. But, you know, I've got no doubt a fast bowler uh, with a rocket arm is going to be fantastic as a quarterback in flag. So we've got a crossover of sports, and this is what I think mm. the world knows. You know, we've got a great athletes here, and it just so happens that all the sports that we play marry up or match up perfectly with uh, with NFL uh, with flag football uh, and even contact football as well. Um, so it, it's it's a really exciting time for us as a sport. So you're going to talk about with flag football being so new to to Gridiron Australia. So what are some of the key initiatives and goals of Gridiron Australia? I guess in promoting the sport of American football in the country, but also planning for 2028 Olympics. Yeah, to, and, and remember, we're both across both um, types of sports. And for our tackle, it's really focused on youth. Um, we, our highest demographic of inquiry to play the game is at under uh, 12s level, between no. uh, 10, 11, and 12s. We've got to, again, indicating that these kids are watching the NFL and they want to play. Um, and so we're really focused on our teenagers. And, and, you know, we've got a lot of Aussie kids that are now on the pathway to the States. Uh, in high schools over there on scholarship or in colleges on scholarship. Um, we've got Thomas Yasmin just about to graduate out of Utah with a major in, uh, with a master's in economics, which is fantastic. Uh, and it looks like he get drafted in the NFL right up to, to that level. And then you've got the boys playing in the NFL already at the moment. So there's that pathway focusing on really focusing on the juniors and giving juniors an opportunity to play the game and chase their dreams. Uh, and then with flag, you know, everything from top to bottom, you know, the Olympic announcement, we've obviously got to have the high performance program. Uh, and there's some really exciting things in and around that with the AOC, uh, with some possible uh, cross collaborations with cross codes, um, working towards the same goal in 2028. We have gold in 2028 in both the men's and women's. And then underneath, you know, right down the other end of the scale is we just signed uh, a contract with an external provider to, to do all our sporting schools program, which will be rolled out in 2024. Uh, which is really pivotal in getting opportunity for kids in, in, in primary schools to play flag football. And we work in conjunction with the NFL on that. Um, NFL runs their own primary school competitions over here. Um, and, we, and we help with that, uh, help facilitate that. We work in you know, a great partnership with the NFL to be able to deliver that uh, and grow it together and, and, and help each other do that. Um, and then we've got you know, in, a lot of inquiry, particularly for the back of the Olympic announcement of two things one where, where's my closest league and or can i start my own league uh, and we're just working with our national flag football director liam price who's also the men's defensive coordinator for the australian team is in malaysia at the moment um in helping people establish those leagues wherever they are uh, and thrive so there's it's it's not a there's a lot um, but we've got the right people in place. We've got the right support. You know, it's it's a lot easier to do these things when you have government support through the AOC or the Australian Institute of Support. It's also a lot easier when you've got the behemoth of the NFL um, that's, you know, a virtual partner uh, with us from growing the sport here. Um, and then we've got the interest, you know, with the, the, the marketing side of the game that, you know, all the kids, you know, they just love the NFL, and this has given them a perfect outlet to play. Yeah, it's a really good segue Probably the next question about technology. Like, How much does, what role does technology play, I guess, in Gridiron Australia's business strategy, but also your strategy to promote the game to the kids? Because you've been talking about how much of a behemoth the NFL is. So are you using technology to leverage the NFL to help bring kids into the system? 
Yeah, technology is across every aspect of the business, right? So, or the sport. So, from down to high performance, using technology to to improve our high performance programs, and to technology to for awareness. So, getting awareness out there, and then technology for governance. We use a lot of technology in actually implementing programs. So, it's it's you know, like society as itself, it's technology is embedded in every single aspect of what we do. Do you see it evolving in the future to some in some capacity as well? Like, how much are you planning to, I guess, even future-proof gridiron Australia? Yeah, look, it's it, it's a it's a you need a crystal ball, right, to see where technology. Yeah. You've only you've only seen where it's come from in the last you know 10, 20, last 10, 20 days compared to what it is yeah. now with the onset of AI. AI, that's only going to enhance it more. But mm-hmm. I, I think when it comes down to it, what the, the technology that we use and, and always in high performance, whenever I've been in high performance programs, you use technology technology for clarity and ease. So what can, what, is this going to make things easier and give us more clarity in what we're going to do? Uh, and that's what technology is for. You know, I, I, I remember having a ding dong battle with uh, the GPS guys, uh, data that is, not the schools in um, 2012, um, where you know the, the program I was in had 30, 30 units to do analytical data of GPS tracking, um, which took up a lot of time, a lot of resources uh, of the players of the training sessions, and and I just was hell bent on getting outcomes. I'm like, hey, guys, at this, I'm not. We're not doing this unless we have an outcome. If this is going to make things simpler and clearer for us which leads to better performance, then we'll use it. But if you can't show me what it's going to make life better, simpler, clearer for the players or the staff, then we ain't using it. Um, and so it was a real, it was a real ding dong battle and it took them a long time to come out with things that were relevant that we didn't know before that justified using the technology um, in that instance. And you're talking about outcomes. So I guess with your current role as CEO, like what outcomes are you looking for? You, we talked about, as I guess, with technology changes in the next last 10, 20 days. So when you're planning for the future, and like what outcomes are you looking for at the moment? So, so what we it all centers around one thing, which is better experience for participants. So if we can make it the best possible experience for participants, now whether that's being a player, a coach, staff member, volunteer, whatever it is, if we can make it a better experience, then we'll get everything else that comes with that. We'll get the growth, um, we'll get the exposure, we'll get the revenue, which we can put all back into. It's like a, a vicious cycle, well, a healthy cycle, a good cycle where we can we can invest all that revenue back into making a better ex- experience for participants. And that's, that's what we, I always base everything on. So experience player safety, no doubt is, I guess, at the forefront of your mind as well. I mean, many years ago with the NFL was going through their own concussion battles, which is kind of probably what the AFL is going through and NRL at the moment last few years, how does Gridiron Australia prioritize and ensure the safety of its participants, given, I guess, the physical nature of the sport? Yeah, look, it's it's not a silver bullet. Um, I've had a lot of experience with with concussion and concussion protocol. I've had symptoms, I've had stuff myself. Um, mm. You know, I, I, it's the reason why I retired eventually um, was because of repeated head knocks. 
So I, I'm well aware of the risks and that, uh, that are associated with it and the mitigation strategies. We've just appointed a board member, Michael Dada, who's also on the board of Neuroflex. Um, wow. So we are well aware of, of what it is, and we're always trying to mitigate the circumstances where the, the safety issues are concerned. It comes down to education, uh, and it's evolving, like every sport that's dealing a contact sport, um, and it's a hot topic, you know. If you look across all contact sports and look at the growth of, of, of participation, I think you'll find it's in a, in a pretty steep decline, particularly those sports that are big. Um, we're only tiny, so we've still got a lot of fat in our numbers where we can mm. actually, uh, you know, there is people willing to play contact sports still. So, you know, there's still a lot of people that want to play it, uh, join our sport as, an, as a new member rather than the traditional sport, contact sports, like, for instance, in this country, rugby league and rugby union, where you say, you know, you can you can see, you look at their numbers of participation, they're, they're dramatically dropping, so but much so that the rugby league, board touch rugby league, um, uh, and that gave them a significant shift in their numbers. So we're always looking at ways uh, for, to keep our safety, whether that's through education of training um, protocols, whether that's education through referees managing the game better, whether that's education in coaches, uh, whether that's sideline uh, medical attention, you know, looking at Neuroflex as an example to, is Neuroflex something that we need to bring into for, for clubs? Um, is it financially viable to do that? What's we, you know, we're, we're pretty hot on safety standards of equipment, um, which is really important as well. So there's a, it's, it's not a silver bullet, and it's evolving, mm. um, and and it's challenging. It's, it's uh, I'm not going to say it's easy, um, but I've got a lot of experience in it, um, and it's very much for my forefront of my mind when we start talking about the game itself. Is is the safety of the participants? You're talking about a steep decline, I guess, of the contact sports here in Australia. So where are these players and athletes going? Are they just dropping out of sport altogether or are there other sports that they're going to where maybe themselves or their parents or guardians are seeking out, I guess, a safer option? Yeah, look, it's probably probably two sides to that. One is the advent of video games. I think having a big effect on society, even in America, uh, or particularly in America, you look at the data there and I was only with it. A lot of the coaches in the, you know the top high school programs, and they're, they're seeing that their talent pools are shrinking, and they, and they wow. put it down to two things: is one is people not playing contact sports, and two is um, video games um, that are having a, a really a big effect on that. And if you look at you know the data of every other sport and participation that the ASC publishes every year, you know you can see that's the non-contact sports that are going through the roof. You can mm. see that a basketball. Is going nuts. Soccer, even though you know it might be, there might be the old collision in soccer. There's not a lot of collision in soccer. Uh, you can see Oztag numbers have gone through the roof. You know, Oztag is a spawn of, of, of flag football. Oztag um, numbers are going through the roof. Touch football numbers are going through the roof. Um, so you've got all and all those things have got something in common, right? They're all non-contact sports. Um, so that lends us to think okay well there's going to be a fair bit of interest in flag football and then mm. there will be crossover a percentage of that um and we, we work on data to how many people convert from flag football to tackle football um but yeah there's there's a huge amount of growth for us in flag football which is pretty obvious um non-contact sport low resources low entry point of cost um and knowledge um but there, we've also got a huge amount of fat in our, in our tackle, particularly youth 
um, space where there is a lot of people playing contact sports. You know, I, I use this, I, I say this all the time, you know, there's not three million Australians sitting under a tree somewhere waiting for their dream sport to pop up. They're all playing other sports. So yeah. it's it's cross code. It increase in our tackle numbers, particularly at junior level uh, and female level, and then increase in flag numbers that generally come from other sports. So let's talk more about you now. Where I'm keen to learn about what is your leadership philosophy and how do you implement it in your organisation there at Gridiron Australia? Yes, look, it, it probably took me a long time to, you know, I was always a subordinate, you know, as a player, you get told what to do, uh, even to as a, as a coach before you become a, a head coach or a director. You, you just sort of told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. So it's, it takes a long time, but I take a lot of learnings off of the high performance programs that I've been in and, and then the networks I've had throughout those programs. And my role is always about um, efficiency and, and, and looking at, okay, what is what is my what is my job and that is to grow uh, exposure uh, participation revenue that we can put back in more to player experiences so my 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 philosophy on leadership is identifying the processes and the people we need and the behaviors that we need to be able to implement that and then empowering those guys to go and do that um, and I learned a lot during my master's of performance psychology on on autonomy and and, and the secrets of motivation and what makes people motivated and it just made things so clear looking back at all the experiences I had before when there was a dictatorship on um, that, you know, people rebelled, people, you know, and then eventually, you know, the person that's a dictator, you know, you look at Eddie Jones at the moment, uh, it's a dictatorship style of thing. When things go wrong, they're the ones that get the blame. Um, you're just not allowing people to be who they are. So my job is to identify the people and processes we need to put in place and then empower and support them to go and be the mm. best people they can possibly be and do the best job that they possibly can. Um, and, you know, and, and celebrate their successes with them. Um, you know, we've got some fantastic people involved in the sport, some, some fantastic people that want to be involved in the sport and, and whatever my job, whatever I can do to help them achieve what they want to achieve, mm. uh, that'd be great for the sport. Do you think CEOs need to have a different leadership philosophy compared to their staff? And I know with you, you don't necessarily have staff underneath you, but no doubt you've got an army of volunteers across the country. Yeah, I think yeah, I think as a as a leader, as a CEO, you've got to have clarity and you've got to have a clear understanding of where you want things to go. But then you've got to be able to allow people to go out and execute on that. So you've got to be able to. Whereas if you're if you if you're underneath, um, and I say that. I probably, that's probably the wrong way to say it. If you're not in that position of a CEO type role, then you're probably not looking at the bigger project, the bigger the mm -hmm. horizon of the whole sport, uh, particularly if you like, look at it from a sporting sense. You're just looking at your own role within that and executing on that. So you've got to have a, a real broad understanding of everyone's uh, uh, role within the game towards those goals and um a vision that you've set out and you can clearly uh, articulate to them and then you just got to empower them and let them and support them go and do that uh, and it's really fun um, you know as opposed to being a dictator and telling everyone what to do and how to do it and do it this way uh, it's, it's a lot more fun doing it when you watch them go and achieve stuff and how do you communicate uh, the 
whatever it is that you need to be communicating being it you know your, your vision and goals and is there I don't know I guess if you learn through your CEO journey like when to communicate enough or sometimes not enough or have you ever gone oh I think I might be communicating to these people too often like how do you find that balance because I've spoken to many leaders I guess on this podcast with some are like I'm I rather over communicate than under communicate others they're always trying to find that balance yeah the, the, <laughs> that's a true that's a tough one um and I said I suppose it's been a huge challenge for Gridiron Australia communication uh, historically, mm. and that was one of the things we identified when we first come in was the communication channels throughout the sport uh, are pretty blocked, uh, which leads to a lot of misunderstandings, which leads to a lot of rumours, which leads to just a, a lot of drama that just doesn't need to happen. Mm. So we've been working to improve those communication levels, and I think there's also always a conscious um, part of your thinking is thinking am i actually saying too much here am i actually over delivering but when i when you bring it back to it is you know the philosophy is to to have real clarity on what we're doing and simplify things and that has always been a high performance philosophy that i've worked in is clarity um of what you're doing and communication clearly so that's what we try to key to, uh, particularly me. So, you know, we use various different uh, mediums of communication through the various um, different parts of the sport. Uh, it's not perfect. It's, it's, a, it's a working, evolving thing. Um, and as the sport grows and establishes more, it'll be a lot easier because a lot of things that we're, we're inventing at the moment for the sport will already be cast in stone um, mm. and will be regular parts of, of gridiron australia whereas other things um we might get to a stage where we're not communicating enough because we've got too big uh which will be another challenge when we have to we hit, hit face on when we get that stage so another i guess communication touch point uh, gridiron australia i guess have coming up is the search documentary series can you maybe just give uh the audience a bit of uh, insight into what the search documentary series is and when it's coming out and where they can see it yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so the search was a project that we did with with Jesse Williams and support um, with supported by the First Step Foundation. So Jesse Williams, or the monster, as a lot of people know him as, you know, phenomenal story out of um, south side of Brisbane. Put two jobs, he worked to get himself across to America to have a crack at a junior college, uh, which is Arizona State Western, which is where they actually filmed Last Chance You. Uh, had two years there where he just was phenomenal and, you know, living on bread, basically. Got himself a shot at Alabama. It was a walk-on starter at Alabama for his last two years. They won two national championships, was the number one tackle draft prospect, it, it, uh, prospect in the draft. Got drafted Seattle, won a Super Bowl his first year. Um, got cancer in his second year, which finished him off, lost a kidney, um, and is now back in Australia. Working with us to to promote youth to those pathways that he did, but make it a lot easier. So we did. Mm. We went around Australia in July, um, and we called it in our project called the Search. We had Russell Hewitt from the NFL Academy, and we had raced hours down from Utah with a fantastic coach and human. Um, and then we had Jesse as well, obviously. And then we um, we were supported by Athletes Authority involved equipment. We put on a full NFL style combine uh, in every state except for Tasmania and Northern Territory, which we'll hit next year. Um, and then off the back of that, we uh, uh, we have just finished off our selections for the top 10. Uh, we'll be notified pretty soon and we'll take those 10 on a trip of a lifetime to LA. 
uh, and spent some time with USC, seeing their programs, just actually seeing what how big college football is uh, and the impact and the opportunities they've got in front of them in the US. And then we spent some time with the Rams, who were good partners with us, and then a couple of other high schools and division uh, colleges in LA. So I'll get the experience of that. Um, and then most of those guys, if they haven't already, will be offered full scholarships to go and play America, uh, football in the US. And then we'll be doing that again next year. So we'll be going around in July again with more coaches, more American staff, um, coaches coming down, uh, high school again, Target. Uh, and then, yeah, we've done a deal with a documentary company called Engage Digital Media, a huge company based out of London who are producing the documentary series for us. And we're still in negotiations of where that's going to be sold to, which is really exciting. There's a lot of interest across a lot of platforms to have that. Um, it's an exciting story, right? kids from Australia making it to the US, cracking mm-hmm. American football. But the focus is around college. Um, NFL, everyone knows NFL is a good story, but college is just huge. Uh, and Australians just don't really get it, uh, how big it is. It's it, For me, it's bigger than the NFL. You know, there's thousands of colleges that are just mm. phenomenal. Um, and I could go into some details around that of just how big they are. Uh, I spent some good time with Alabama and USC and Utah a few weeks ago. It's just mind-blowing. Even from, you know, I've spent... 20 years in high-performance sport around the world, and I've never seen anything like college football in terms of setup and budget and, and professionalism. Oh, so, I mean, yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree it's there. Well, I mean, I, I was lucky enough in 2019 to get a tour of the University of Oregon football facility there and just, just the sheer amount of money that goes into these things. And, yeah, I think you, you are right. I mean, it, college football is much bigger than the NFL and just the sheer passion people have for their school and for those Saturday games. Like, people travel from all over the world. Uh, I remember the first college football game I went to was Stanford versus Notre Dame there at Stanford. And, you know, people are having their RVs all, you know, wrapped up in Notre Dame um, colours and logo. It was just... It's it's even just trying to explain it to I guess Australian fans of it. It's you just have to kind of like be there, enjoy it to really understand how big it is. Yeah, look, I, I, I it was the same at USC and, and Utah, but Alabama was just different level. There was and just a couple of anecdotes there. There was there was a hundred thousand people in the stadium for the game uh, against Ole Miss. Um, there was 80,000 people in the tailgate party outside that didn't have tickets to get in. The, there's 300 boxes in Brian Denny Stadium, Alabama Stadium, and there are a million bucks a year to hire a box, uh, a corporate box, uh, and they've got a 10-year waiting list. And when you hire that box for a million dollars for nine games a season, it doesn't even get you tickets for inside the box. That's how big these programs are. Um, <laughs> it's just nuts. And, and, you know, they are thirsty for Australian kids and Pacific kids. They've seen, you know, guys like Thomas come through at Utah. Uh, in all the punters that have come through, you know, there's punters mm-hmm. in every college. Every top program has got an Australian punter. Um, now there's a lot of the NFL teams got Australian punters. Um, they've got, you know, high schools chock full of Australians. There was three Australians in the Super Bowl last year in Jordan. Milada, Matt Leo and Aaron Sippers, you know, they're so hungry for our talent, which is great. So conscious of time, Wade, so we're going to throw five quick five questions at you. Yep. Growing up, what sports person did you look up to? Wayne Pierce. 
uh, rugby league legend, um, small, just get bashed every weekend, yeah, you know, but it was just the ultra competitor. I love Wayne Pest. Who do you look up to for mentorship and guidance? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I lean on a couple of people um, within sports admin um, that have done a lot of stuff and, and sports psychology. Uh, I don't ever really talk about them because they, it's not it's an it's an unwritten agreement that we don't I don't ever divulge who I am because they I think, think maybe get hit up by a few more people. But yeah, there's. <laughs> I, I really lean on a, a, a performance psychologist um, that I talk to a lot, and there's a there's a guy that's been involved in in sports administration at the highest levels of sport around the world. Um, that's a, a real good confidant that I, I talk to pretty much every week. What has been your proudest moment in sport or in life? Just in general, yeah. Take it take it where you want. Oh, really? I, I've got two amazing kids and an amazing wife. You know, I've got, I, 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 that for me is the biggest achievement. I've got two girls and just great kids. Um, and my wife is just my best mate and she's, she's brilliant. So that, that's right. the biggest achievement. Right answer as well, Wade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. So how, so how do you manage your personal and professional network? My, uh, network? Yeah. I th- look. I'm a people's person. I like talking to people. I'm really curious as to their stories, uh, not for my own benefit. But I just I just like different people's stories, so I, I find it very easy to talk to people. You know, I grew up around a family of, uh, um, that was huge uh, in a community that was, you know, in Valley in Sydney, which was just phenomenal back in the day. You know. You, to characters, you know, you had guys just got out of jail, you had CEOs of companies, you had pilots, you had bricklayers, you had everyone there. It was a real melting pot of people. Um, and, you know, I was always encouraged to talk to people. So I've just, I, I have no problem with clients just picking up a phone and calling someone, um, having a chat and catching up. And, and so that's, that's generally how I do all my networking. Obviously, being in sport my whole career uh, and playing and coaching all over the world. I've got a really good network. Um, I'm pretty, I think, I like to think, I know I'm, I'm pretty genuine. I, I, I'm not smart to play any sort of games or I'm just generally curious to meet people and, and, and have conversations with them and, um, and learn off them and, and learn, you know, maybe not what to do sometimes. But <laughs> that's just a, a pretty personal guy. So it, I find it very easy to, to network um, and, re- and really, really enjoyable. That's, pro- that's my favourite part of the job. Uh, and finish this sentence in 2024 i want to see what i want to see is both win the men's women's world cup in flag football nice great all right i got last last two questions then I'll, i'll let you on your way how do you balance in your role the short term and long term goals of uh gridiron australia and also, how do you handle the pressure and stress that can come with being a CEO? Yeah, it's a, yeah, good questions. Um, I ask this a lot, as well as work-life balance. It's a tough one. Um, the, the first one, long-term versus short-term. Short-term goals should always be towards long-term goals. So uh, you have those North Stars where you're like, like is where we want to take the sport for a better a user experience for the player, uh, for the participants, whether that's players, coaches, or volunteers. 
referees. So, and then bringing that back, and there's, there's micro-positions along the way, but they're always going towards that North Star of a better, a better experience for all. Um, so I find that quite easy, to be honest. Uh, there's stepping stones. We use modelling from other sports. Uh, I use modelling from my own experience and then intu- intuition of how to make it um, a better experience for people. And, and then naturally off the back of that becomes growth and revenue opportunities. Um, the second part of that question was the balance. What was it again? Yeah. So how do you handle the pressure and stress that comes with being a CEO? Yeah. Yeah. I think experience helps you a little bit of that. I think um, playing playing sport. You know, I've got I've got a very good mate who's 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 got a pretty nasty cancer at the moment, and, and he's just with it unbelievably well. Um, you know, young family and stuff. And, uh, you know, I couldn't. I admired the bloke before this and, and now I just, you know, it's through the roof how much admiration I've got for him. And and he puts it down to, it's just like 40, man. I just, I got hit hard. I got up. I went again. I got, I've been hit hard a few more times. I just keep getting up. That's just what we do. Um, so I think I have a good background of understanding through through my sport career and coaching is that you're going to get hit pretty hard pretty mm. often. And you just got to, you just get up and, and you're going to make mistakes you know, pretty much every day and you just get up. Um, I, I, I have a real uh, strong rule that if someone has got a complaint with me or, or got something to tell me or, you know, tell me I'm shit at my job and that sort of stuff, just ring me. I just send them my number straight away and just ring me, mate. Ring me. I, let's talk about it. Um, I'm pretty upfront with that sort of thing. So coping with the stress of it, I think my, my background in, in sport certainly helps. Um with that side of it for sure. All right, last question. Can you provide any advice or words of encouragement for individuals interested in pursuing a career in sports admin like yourself? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, one challenge is um, taking yourself too seriously. I think um, sports fun. Sports mm. are fun part of the communities. Sports are supposed to be. Fun. Sport admin is supposed to be fun. Yeah, there's some. There's some tedious stuff you have to do just to make sure it's all right, but it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be putting each other and, and be a real positive influence in the community. And you've got to always remind yourself of that. Um, and sometimes you've got to remind other people of that. And you've got to remind you, you know, even your board of that, that, you know, this is, this is about fun for people. Um, so let's, let's never lose track for that. So if you, if you, and, and it's, it's great. Um, you know, Wayne Bennett always says, find a job that you love, you never work a day in your life. And I think if you work in sport and you keep it fun, um, and that's not to say you're not trying to do your best job, you know, it, you're also working your bloody ass off to, to make sure, you know, it's, you're doing the best job you possibly can. It's fun. It's it's a great experience, you know. Um, I watched, you know, I, I you could say I worked all weekend. I sat with my two girls and we watched every single second of the, the NFL, the, of the flag football uh, Asia, Oceania Championships in Malaysia over the weekend, cheering on our Australian uh, men and women's teams, and watching all the countries around the world, um, and doing some social media stuff in and around that. That's that was my job for the weekend, so it's not a bad job. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that having fun. I think that's a really good reminder for a lot of those working in sports admin, because you said there's moments where it's not fun, but uh, yeah, I think that's that's great advice, Wade. All right, I've taken up too much of your time, but. If people want to get involved in American football or flag football here in Australia, or even just want to connect with you, Wade, where's the best place to visit? 
Yeah, me, easy LinkedIn. Uh, it's always easy, easiest that way. And generally, I just give my number out straight away and email address. Um, and then for the sport itself, uh, either our website or social. So gridiron.org.au has got every all the details you need on there and all our contact details. Um, or through our social channels and, and the main mediums we use there, um, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Perfect. Wade Kelly, thank you so much for joining us in High Performing Leaders in Sport, and uh, good luck in the future. Thanks, Josh. Really appreciate it, mate. Uh, it's nice to actually get your thoughts out. Um, High Performing Leaders in Sport podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of lands on which we live and work, the Wajuk Noongar people. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging.